This is DIA Connections. Everybody that comes through our doors, their job is to protect your hopes and dreams, your way of life, your family, everything that you hold dear. This is always an emotional event for me because of what it means. Just the fact that you are willing to raise your right hand and stand up against tyranny in the world as a deterrent. It is incredibly powerful. Big Beatles fan, love to talk about my kids over the last 10 months, love to share pictures of my grandson. Some stories, you know, about things Barb and I've done through the years or what I'm reading and kind of pulling lessons out of, of that as well. Speaking words of wisdom, that was the 21st and former director of the Defense Intelligence Agency, Lieutenant General Robert P. Ashley Jr. Ladies and gentlemen, the 21st director of the Defense Intelligence Agency and commander of the Joint Functional Component Command for Intelligence Surveillance and Reconnaissance, Lieutenant General Robert P. Ashley, Jr. The mission of the DIA is to provide intelligence on foreign militaries and operating environments that delivers decision advantage to prevent and decisively win wars. For the past three years, Lieutenant General Ashley has been the director of that mission. What began in October of 2017 concluded in October of 2020. A three-year tour is all you get as director, and then time's up. After 36 years of serving the country, the boss, as we respectfully and affectionately call him, is heading out. But before handing off the reins to Lieutenant General Scott Barrier, the next director of the DIA, we had one last task of General Ashley, to reflect about his time here at the Defense Intelligence Agency and about the journey. Here's Director Ashley with DIA historian Paul Isaacson. Sir, thank you for joining us. On the outside wall of our building, in great big letters, it says Defense Intelligence Agency committed to excellence in defense of the nation. Let me ask you kind of a big why. Why have you spent your professional life working in this area? So it intrigued me in college. And, you know, kind of the funny thing is, you know, we all grew up watching James Bond and, you know, Mission Impossible was a TV series when I was a kid. Not the Tom Cruise stuff, but... Um, uh, Peter Graves and, and the, the crew that was on the television series. And I thought that would be really neat. And I've always been interested in international affairs. So my degree at App State was political science. And when it came time to look at the different branches and things within the Army, I thought, you know, I want to be an intelligence officer. Not knowing that really tactical intelligence is a that's not James Bond. That's a very different. Uh, that's a very different kind of animal, and uh, you know, to make your bones as an airborne infantry battalion S two in the woods is not exactly uh, James Bond with a shake and not stirred martini. Um, but I made my bones early uh, in what I thought was the best place to start a, a young career, which is in the eighty second airborne. You know, when you come in, uh, maybe some people come in and think yeah, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. And so when I took the commission, coming from a military family, my dad was, uh, actually was in the Army and he was in the Air Force. He was uh, drafted a soldier in the Korean War, 
got out for a year and went into the Air Force and did a career as enlisted uh, airman. And then my brother was a 141 pilot. So I knew that the military was in my future. And getting promoted to flag, you know, one of the great things about it is you get to stay a little bit longer. So you get to do something you absolutely love. But what has really driven me and uh, it goes back to my why and, you know, why do you get out of the bed in the morning and why should, you know, someone care? And it's for my family. And if in some way, shape or form, something that I've done over the course of the last 36 years makes my family safer, makes my friends safer, makes my nation safer, that's all the motivation I need. Like anyone else starting a new job at a new location, there might be some nervousness. Here's General Ashley speaking at the change of command ceremony three years ago. It sort of provided us with a glimpse about his approach to certain situations. Needless to say, there's a little bit of stress involved in uh, taking over the Defense Intelligence Agency. I got a good five-miler in this morning. Didn't quite work. I broke out the Les Paul, played some Zeppelin. That helped a bit. How would you assess your overall three years at DIA? Kind of a roller coaster ride. And there are times when, you know, I would take my hands off the bar. And, and there are times when I was holding on for dear life. I, I would really say, you know, it's an honor. Um, it's been an education. It's been fun. It has been stressful. Uh, it's, it, it's the whole gamut of emotions uh, that you would expect in a job like this. You know, it was some, some things that I'd never done before. I had never done testimony. I'd like to call this hearing on worldwide threats to order, and I'd like to welcome our distinguished witnesses today. Director of the Defense Intelligence Agency, General Robert Ashley, Director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. That in itself was an incredibly educational process, but a pretty, a pretty tough lift uh, because I wanted to make sure that as we went into testimony, especially the open hearings that we're able to answer the questions as best we can to educate the public about what it is we do, help them understand the threats. General Ashley, the work just never seems to end for our Defense Department. I'd particularly value your unvarnished appraisal of where progress is being made in Afghanistan and where it's not. And then, you know, the, kind of the cardinal rule is make sure you don't answer a policy question because that's not your lane. And then the other one is don't forget, you're in an open session. You can't say anything classified. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un has pressed his nation down a path to develop nuclear weapons and deliver them with ballistic missiles that can reach South Korea, Japan, Guam, and the United States. Sir, can you share with us any goals that you might have had when you accepted the position as director of the Defense Intelligence Agency? And have you achieved them? Was it, was it harder than you thought it might have been? So it was an educational process. I really actually knew very little uh, in the larger scheme of things of all the things that DIA does for the nation. So the degree of complexity in the mission uh, was far greater than really what I anticipated. So the, so the learning curve uh, is pretty steep. So there's a lot of things that you got to understand uh, in the diversity of the different missions that DIA has. And so that part of it, has been absolutely fascinating. Uh, in terms of goals, I think one of the things that I, I think about when I join any team is taking care of the workforce. 
Uh, I'm a firm believer that if you make sure you take care of the people, they will take care of the mission. I would get feedback, I mean, direct emails from it could be the most junior employee going, why do we do the following? And as I was learned about the system, I would go, I don't know why we do the following. Let me find out. But that's kind of what I would kind of look back. And if somebody said, well, what was it like when, uh, when Bob Ashley was a director? I would like for him to say what well, he cared. And um, he took care of us. Uh, and we were and he enabled us to take care of the mission and we were a better agency for it. What would you say was the most surprising thing that you learned after coming to DIA? Well, the, the most surprising thing was the diversity of the missions. Uh, I was probably about 18 months into the job. I was TDY to Europe and something was about to happen and I wasn't sure I was going to be allowed to go to the next country I was going to travel to, but it was okay. So I traveled to the country, got a chance to see some of the missions. That particular event took place, which was a strike. And after the strike was over, I get back uh, to Washington and there's an email in my queue uh, for me to approve a congressional notification. And the congressional notification lays out, here's what DIA did to make that strike you know, happen. And as I'm reading this thing, I'm going like, wow, I didn't know we did that. That's, that's pretty awesome. As the director of DIA, you make many decisions every day, from small ones to ones with global implications. What would you say are the most important decisions you make as director? One of the most important things that you can do in a leadership position, and it requires you to train folks so that they you know, know what they're doing, but one of the most important things you can do is to empower others to do their job. And so for me, if the question, you know, as you stated, is what's, you know, kind of one of the most important decisions that you made, it was a decision not to make all the decisions, to be able to, you know, tell folks, hey, you got that. Um, send it over to the secretary or send it to the undersecretary or send it to the DNI. Just CC me on it so I know what was in it. Or kind of tell me what, um, you know, what the background is on it. But I trust you to do your job. And until such time that someone demonstrates that that trust is misplaced, and that's not been the case, um, hey, drive on and don't let me slow you down. North Korea has fired two short-range ballistic missiles weeks after declaring its three-month pause on long-range missile tests. Experts continue to prepare for a world where connected cars roam the streets. They're forecasting increased risk for major security breaches. As a reporter, You know better than most what kinds of threats we face around the world. So the big question remains, was this fire at the Natanz nuclear facility, the outcome of a covert uh, cyber attack. We just don't know at this point. It's impossible to say. However, what keeps you up at night? I think the one thing that concerns me the most are the cyber threats. Uh, it can hit every fabric of society. It can go global and it is instantaneous. And the fact that we have the Internet of Things so many things, if they're not hardened, if they're not secure, if you've not done the right cybersecurity, are vulnerable. South Korea is to step up cybersecurity amid data leaks from its nuclear power plants. Korea Hydro and Nuclear Power Company, which runs the country's 23 reactors, said its computers had been hacked on Monday. So when you think about 
hacking into a nuclear power plant, shutting down the financial system, um, just intellectual theft and property. Uh, you know, it may be the Defense Department is on the verge of the next great breakthrough, but if we don't secure it, there's some there's some uh, great power nations out there. They're going to try to steal that and put it in their kit bag. You know, where someone sees opportunity, we have to look at it and try to think our way through. Okay, if a nefarious actor were to get their hands on this, where's the risk? And then, how do we help explain that risk to senior leaders and make sure that it's mitigated? Sir, if you had the chance to speak directly to the American people and tell them just what DIA does, what would you tell them? And could you comment on the basic question that a lot of Americans ask themselves: Are we safe? The most impactful way to tell you what DIA does every day is everybody that comes through our doors. Their job is to protect your hopes and dreams, your way of life, your family, and so everything that you hold dear. Just going to a ball game now, set aside pandemics, going to a baseball game and not worrying about somebody attacking. We're part of that, a huge team, an interagency team,、uh, whose, from my perspective, our Our goal is that you can live your life, pursue your dreams, and not have to worry.、Um, are we safe? There is always going to be threats out there. There's always going to be vulnerabilities, and so it's that vigilance every single day to try to find out who's trying to hack, who's trying to make some kind of encroachment, who's trying to move in、um, on our national interests in a global. Uh, forum. So we work all of that every day with members of the intelligence community,、uh, with members of the government.、Um, so that is, you know, that is that is a vigilance. And you know, as Secretary Mattis calls his intelligence professionals, he says, "You guys are my sentinels." And so the best way to describe that is, we're your sentinels every single day, and our job is to make you as safe as possible by understanding what the threats are. Um, getting that information to decision makers, and then working with a rather large team of how do we counter it. Your three years at DIA have coincided with a new administration that has, at times, been critical and even dismissive of intelligence. Did this situation make it tougher for you to do your job? And what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it, it did not increase.、Uh, it, it had no impact on the difficulty or lack of difficulty in my position. We know what our mission is.、Uh, we know what we have to do on a daily basis, and you know, part of that is to inform leaders. The leaders will make decisions. They will take the intelligence. They will challenge it. They will agree with it.、Uh, they will disagree with it.、Um, but our job is not to make policy, and we're not the ones who decide. We're the ones that present the threat and the understanding, so that senior leaders can either say, "Yep, I got it. That makes sense," and that's that may drive their decision, or they may go, "Not exactly how I see it."、Um, and it's always good when we have the dialogue and they kind of share, you know, or senior leader goes, "I got it. You see this as a medium threat. I actually see it as high, and here's why." And the other part of that is, you know, we spend time making them better consumers. Making them smarter customers, and the more they understand about what we do, 
um, the more they can refine, direct, challenge, make us raise our game. And so, you know, kind of the current dynamics and some of the some of the criticisms uh, that have been levied, they don't impact me at all. I it doesn't change my focus or what I'm going to do. You know, I can watch a new story in the evening, and no matter how uh, negative it might be about the IC, it does not change what I'm doing the next morning, which is back to my earlier point: the hopes and dreams of 330 million Americans. Has there been, though, an effect on morale? And is that anything that you've had to deal with in this situation? So I don't see. I don't think it's had an effect on morale. And going back to your previous question, I think one of the points I really have to make in that context is one of, you know, kind of the tenets of someone in my position and really our analysts is speak truth to power. And that's one of the things that that I tell senior leaders. I've been fortunate enough that I've been brought in to the uh, Joint Land Component Commanders course up at the War College uh, to teach a class on operational intelligence. And one of the messages I, I give them is, you can't shoot the messenger. You have to be open to other um, assessments than your own. And so, you know, you, you got to provide the environment that allows that senior intel officer, whoever that is, it could be a captain, a major, it could be a three-star general, to be able to tell you what they see, you know, what the assessment is, what the intelligence that they know about you know, what can be assessed and then whether that's low, medium, high, and then what, what's the sourcing and what underpins that. So that, that ability to speak truth to power is absolutely critical in what we do. Um, from a morale standpoint, I think we're, we're in, we're in good shape. Dedication to country and commitment to the mission was something General Ashley spoke of often. It is the core of who he is. And it was on full display May of 2019 when he gathered the workforce together outside on the front lawn of the agency in a symbolic ceremony to retake our oath to defend the Constitution of the United States. This is always an emotional event for me because of what it means. This is probably one of the most important things that we do in our careers is when we raise our right hand and the tradition Uh, that underpins this is incredible. And unlike any other nation on this planet who pledges an allegiance to a king, to a queen, every day we come in with the idea that we can help defend the hopes and dreams of 323 million Americans because that's the expectation of what you do. Just the fact that you are willing to raise your right hand and stand up against tyranny in the world is a deterrent. It is incredibly powerful. And so let me thank you for what you do every single day. And if you would join me and raise your right hand and repeat after me. I state your name. Do solemnly swear. That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. In the three years that Director Ashley was at DIA, he not only shared his passion for the mission, his wisdom, and his expertise with us, but his personal life as well. After a short break, we deep dive into some of the ways he did that and why. 
This is DIA Connections. Freedom, diversity, equality, democracy, prosperity, community, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Principles that are the heart of our country. Principles that the Defense Intelligence Agency is committed to safeguarding. Breaking new details about North Korea's missile launch. Russia test firing its new intercontinental ballistic missile nicknamed Satan-2. The international situation is the most complex and demanding that I have seen in all my years of service. We have taken an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic. We speak truth to power and safeguard the information with which we have been entrusted. We do this to protect the freedoms of all Americans, our allies, and future generations around the world. Committed to excellence in defense of the nation, D.I.A. This is DIA Connections. Every Sunday for the past three years, the DIA workforce around the globe received a message in their inbox from Director Ashley. He called it his Sunday update, and it became a must-read. Aside from the pertinent information we needed to know, he included travel tips, book recommendations, historical references, music suggestions and lyrics, and many, many football references. Through him, we experienced the ups and downs of his favorite NFL team, the Minnesota Vikings. And whenever the opportunity presented itself, which seemed quite often, we were reminded of his alma mater, the Appalachian State Mountaineers, and their unlikely triumph in 2007 over the Michigan Wolverines in the big house. Sir, this one's for you. This is it right here. Snaps good, the whole kicks. The kick is good. The Mountaineers have just beat the Michigan Wolverines. The Mountaineers of Appalachian State have just beat... We can't say that the Sunday emails from the general were ever that exciting, but they were interesting and always personal. And we were curious about the motive behind it. I had done something not quite the same or as frequently in my previous job, but I thought, hey, every Sunday I'm just going to sit down and kind of write what's on my mind, um, what I'm doing at work, kind of what I'm focused on, uh, leadership lessons, you know, because there may have been something that happened that week and I can draw it back into something that maybe when I was a lieutenant colonel or something else and I can and I can share a story. And in some cases, it's a story of where I screwed something up or where I learned a lesson, things like that. I strongly believe that you, you have to you have to personalize the position. Now, not everybody will take that approach. Some people will you'll never get past the facade of the position and that's okay. That's who they are and that's how they want to do it. But that was not who I am and that's not the approach that I wanted. So I was going to open up my family and me uh, to the workforce and said, hey, here's the stuff that that I like to do. Um, Big Beatles fan, um, love to talk about my kids. over the last 10 months, love to share pictures of my grandson, uh, some stories, you know, about things Barb and I've done through the years or what I'm reading and kind of pulling lessons out of, of that as well. 
we know that you're a voracious reader. Um, and each year recently, DI puts out a director's reading list annually, and which is available online, by the way, for our listeners to see. Tell us um, about the influence that reading has really had on your life and how has it guided you in this role as director? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a late bloomer uh, when it comes to reading. And I'm sure my high school teachers would not be surprised if I told you I had never read a book cover to cover when I graduated high school. I actually did a book report on a book that I didn't read um, and did okay on the book report. So anyway, there's not, not that I'm advocating that for anybody. Read the book, do your work, all that good stuff. But it wasn't until I was probably a major um, that it just kind of dawned on me. A lot of the senior leaders that I was around and getting exposed to, I mean, their, their nose was in two or three books at any one time. And it was about leadership. It was about the profession. It was about history. And any discussion we were having, uh, if it was something, you know, we're giving an intel brief or we're talking about a particular region, before you know it, it goes into a historical vignette and stuff that I had not read. And I thought, okay, well, you got to, you, you got up your game, buddy, if you want to keep up with these guys and gals. It just became inspired by the people you're around and you get more responsibility and you're thinking, man, I just... There's so much here that I don't know. I, I need to dig into some more of these topics. I mean, so many of the things that we're seeing now are cyclical. I mean, they played in previous administrations. I could pull four or five quotes from Mao and Eisenhower, take the names away from the 50s, and you would think it's coming out of today's headlines. And so, if, you know, for what we do, it's not enough just to, well, yeah, I read this in the news today and let me go with that. You, you got to understand the culture, you got to understand the history, the background. And in so many ways, a lot of these decisions are cyclic. We've been there before. Can you point to one person who has made a big impact, maybe the biggest impact in your career? Uh, it's easy. My wife, always there when I get ready to take on something and it just... It seems so big that I doubt myself. She never does. Uh, so for Director Coates, if you look to your right, you really want somebody that's strong under adversity. Uh, you may see Barb at SAS testimony instead of me. Would you like to mention anyone else? Um, you know, for me, that, other, that inspiration comes from my kids. And it starts with my daughter-in-law and my cousins and nieces and my grandson. And, you know, that's kind of the proverbial what gets you up in the morning. When they write the history books and someone's in a, you know, in a class in 2050 and they look back at 9-11 and they look at kind of where we are right now, um, my son will be able to pull out some old photos and go, you remember when you were taking that, that class on uh, uh, warfare at the turn of the, the 21st century and the teachers were talking to you about a guy named General Milley and General Mattis and General Dunford and General McChrystal and Admiral McRaven who organized and led the raid to kill bin Laden. He can pull out pictures and go, Hey, there's your grandpa with all those guys. And 
So many of those names and countless sergeant majors and young soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, and civilians and contractors that I've had a chance to rub shoulders with for 36 years. But some of the people that you get a chance to meet, you know, in the job and, uh, you know, General Milley, the chairman uh, as well, it's kind of neat. And it's, you know, for a kid from North Carolina, I pinch myself when I see him on TV and go, I know that guy. I know the chairman or I know the secretary of defense, uh, things like that. So the, um, the coolness factor has and will never wear off on me. After compiling a long list of accomplishments and awards serving the nation for 36 years, the question now becomes, what's next? Somehow, I'm not seeing you as necessarily the kickback, sit on the front porch, watch the world go by kind of guy. So what are your plans? So we're building a house right now in North Carolina. Uh, it is scheduled to be finished the middle of September. And, you know, it's kind of the, every time we move, we talk about the forever house and what's going to be in it. So um, this is the forever house. And what I really want to be able to do is kind of have a portfolio approach where I'm not going to an office uh, day in, day out. I will base from North Carolina. Um, I'd like to consult. I'd like to teach. I'd like to give back to the community. Um, So all of those things are, um, I would say, are in play, um, hopefully for, you know, for the next decade or so until I decide to hang it up for good. Thank you so much for your time, your leadership, your dedication. It is much appreciated, and we wish you all peace and great adventures in your retirement. All righty. I appreciate it, and uh, keep you in your prayers for a long retirement, and uh, for everybody that's uh, got to watch after I leave, uh, keep the peace. (laughs) I'd like to enjoy some time on the couch watching football after the pandemic. Sir, we wish you a Viking Super Bowl, quality family time, a lot of great reads, and plenty of good music. And speaking of music... One of the layers we really didn't peel away in this episode is the director's passion for music and playing guitar. In fact, that's him playing in the background. And since he's no longer at DIA, we can now declassify some high-level intel. I will grab the acoustic first, and then uh, we'll do the electric a little bit later. He's a 100% rock and roll star wannabe. Yeah, there's there's nothing like Iron Man on the acoustic guitar. So we did an entire podcast dedicated to music. Joining him on that podcast will be a 2020 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee who now works for the Department of Defense and a Grammy Award-winning country music vocalist. Don't miss it, because it's going to be a great show. And here's a sneak peek. We asked General Ashley for his top three Desert Island album picks. Albums are those big black round things. Sgt. Pepper from the Beatles. Uh, Dark Side of the Moon from Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin II. Did we have the coolest director in the entire IC or what? Led Zeppelin II? Sir, thank you for a whole lot of love you've shown the country and DIA. We're much obliged for such a pleasant stay, but now's the time for you to ramble on. Thanks for listening to DIA Connections. <laughs>